At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Welcome to our series, Newish. Everything's changed. Have you? Where we're celebrating that in Christ, we have been given new life. The only question is, are you living it? Let's turn to Romans chapters 5 through 7 to decipher whether we're living in Christ's freedom or trapped in the patterns of our old life. Good morning. We are going to begin this morning by acknowledging something that is true of every single one of us in this room. It's true of any of us who are living in a fallen world, any of us who have this human condition. What is this something? It is that struggle that we know all too well, the struggle that we know what we should do, but we choose to do the other thing. We choose to go in the other direction. Anybody understand what I'm talking about? There's a few of you that maybe don't agree with that. Let me, let me ask you again. If you are put before uh, a choice of good and evil, sometimes we choose evil, don't we? That's what I'm talking about. Let me break it down for you in a few practical ways. For some of us, this looks like when we're on this uh, journey of weight loss, we're trying to shed a few pounds and someone presents us with that gooey, chocolatey dessert. All right? We know what we should do, (laughs) but we don't always do it, do we? For others of us, it might be a little bit more significant, it might be when we're trying to tighten up things in our budget. We have the resources and only this many resources, and we need to walk in obedience to what we have declared in our budget, but the new iPhone came out. There's that new piece of tech that we have to have, right? We know what we should do, and yet we struggle to do that thing. For others of us, I want to take it on a bit more of a spiritual turn. For others of us, we know what God is asking of us with our time, with our talents, and with our treasures. We know what we should do, and instead we kind of pull this Jonah impersonation and we walk the other direction. We go the opposite way of what God is calling us to do. I believe that every single person here this morning, whether you are with us in the room, watching online, whatever it might be, you understand the wrestling of what I'm talking about, that wrestling that goes on in our head and that goes on in our heart because every single day you and I are faced with choices. Some of them easy, some of them kind of in the middle of the road, some of them incredibly difficult. They are genuine temptations for you and for me as we try to walk out our faith journey. Every single one of us, whether we want to admit it or not, know that the struggle is real. And that's what Paul writes about today in our text. 
you know that we've been digging through the book of Romans, and this is what he communicates in his letter to the church in Rome. And I love it because it is so important for you and me to grab a hold of today because it is a very raw, real, honest assessment of his own heart, and I believe that that will give us an honest assessment for you and I to wrestle with in, in our own hearts. Today we are, in fact, concluding our newish sermon series, and we're looking at Romans 7 to be exact. If you have not read Romans 7, it is a bit intense, and it is loaded with complexities. It's one of those books, that, one of those chapters in God's Word where you can kind of read it and look at it and go, wow, that is a lot to unpack. And yet it's so very important for each one of us on our journey of faith. But in order to understand Romans 7, it's so important to understand the context, to understand the significance of what's gone before. So what we've done in this series over the past few weeks is we have looked at Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 6, and then today we conclude with Romans chapter 7. And what we've learned from the apostle thus far is that because of the gospel, because of the good news of Jesus who is the Christ, the power of God for salvation is for everyone who believes. And because of that, everything has changed. All of it. Everything has changed because the power of God for salvation is for everyone who believes. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, then that means you. Hear the words of Romans 5.1. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with the Heavenly Father because of Christ. Through faith, we are justified. It's not something you did. It's not something you earned. You couldn't do it, but Jesus could. So men, women, and children, I want to be very clear. If you have repented of your sin, if you've gotten to the end of that point where you recognize that you are, in fact, a sinner, you have come to that place where you know what you should do and you do the other thing. If you have gotten to that place in your journey, you've repented of that and you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, then you have been justified before a holy God. And that is good news. That's why we call it the gospel. And this means that even in the midst of our struggle to do the right thing, believers can rejoice because God has, in fact, poured out his love on you and on me in Christ. That's how we know he loves us, because of Jesus. And then Paul helped us see through Adam that all were found sinful. That's when Romans takes this kind of hard left turn into difficulty for you and for me. We're all stained by Adam's act of disobedience in the garden, and we are all stained because of our own sin. And yet, Jesus changes that too. The text is Romans five nineteen. For as by one man's disobedience, who is that? Please tell me, you understand. Who is that? That is Adam. The many were made sinners. We were made sinful because of Adam's disobedience. So by the one man's 
obedience, who's that man? Jesus. The many will be made righteous. Again, good news. And everything changes because of Christ. And you see, it is in this righteousness that believers have through our faith in Christ, not because of anything that we have done. We are no longer enslaved to sin. We are no longer controlled by sin. For one who has died has been set free. That is important for us as we pursue and as we read through our text today. To remember that right there. That if you were in Christ, you have in fact been set free. It no longer controls you. It no longer has this straight jacket upon you. Because Jesus has defeated sin. He has defeated death. And if you were in Christ, that is true of you as well. But if we're completely honest, if we're going to be transparent with each other this morning, we also know that while that is true, each and every day, each and every week can be a struggle, can it? There's choices. There's things that you and I face each and every day where we could do the right thing and we're challenged to do the opposite. So what is that about? What do we do with that? Let's turn to Paul's letter, Romans chapter 7. We're going to read the words of the apostle as we look at verses uh, 7 through 12. We're going to continue on in this text, but I just want to go piece by piece this morning. So here is what Paul writes. He said, what then shall we say that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. You see, I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity, through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Let's pause right there. Paul has presented his first century audience. He's presented all who read this text with the first of two very important questions that we must wrestle with today. It's right there at the beginning. Is the law itself sinful? Is the law, the rule of God, is it sinful? The obvious answer that Paul addresses immediately is no, of course it is not. Yet when we dig a little deeper, when we attach our own human activity, when we attach our own will to the law, we can in fact see why Paul is engaging with this question. It's something for us to consider because the law does influence the way godly people or people in general live. The law does that. And because you and I, all of us here today, struggle to do the right thing, it must be the law's fault, right? 
It's Allah's fault, right? I mean, it's not my fault. Is it yours? <laughs> it's not the law's fault. But then what does the law bring to us? What does the law do for us? It helps us know the reality of our sin. It shines a light on our sin. It kind of points that flashlight into the darkest places of our soul and exposes things. In fact, it highlights three specific things in this text that we're going to unpack in just a moment. What happens when we look at it and we say, how can the law be helpful? It gives us three specific things. The first one is this. The law actually reveals sin. We see it in Paul's words. This is what he says. He said, yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. You see, the law helps us see the magnitude, the weightiness of your sin and my sin against a holy and righteous God. That's what it does. You see, the law isn't sin in and of itself, but it reveals sin in our lives. That's the first point or purpose of the law and how it is helpful for you and me. Next up, the law provokes sin. This is a little bit weird, actually. Some of us might wrestle with this, but I think if we listen to the text and see where Paul is going, I think we can wrap our minds around it. So let's look at verse 8. It says, But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. That is the urge that rises up within us. So that when we're told to do something, we do the opposite. <laughs> John Stott, a pastor and theologian, he said it's been going on for a very long time. In fact, here's what he says. He says, ever since Adam and Eve, we have been enticed by forbidden fruit. The law helps you and I to recognize that when there is a speed limit sign put in front of us and it says we should go slower, we go, <laughs> oh, Yeah. I don't think I want to do that. But it's not just behind the wheel. It happens in all areas of our lives. When we are told what not to do, somehow that stirs something up within us and we desire to do what we've just been told not to. If any of you are struggling with this at all, I want to remind you of what life was like when you had toddlers. I love my kids. We have fantastic kids. And I know you do too. But you know exactly what I'm talking about. Put something right in front of a child that, and tell him not to do it. What's going to happen? It's going to run right there. That's what the law produces in our lives. It provokes us because we're told what we are not to do. And finally, the third helpful thing that the law does for you and for me on our journey of faith is the law actually condemns sin. Look at verse 10. 
Paul says, the very commandment that promised life proved death to me. You see, the law brought condemnation to Paul's head and to his heart. He felt conviction around the law. And he says, I know that thing. I shouldn't do it. It's conviction. It's condemnation. And acknowledging these three things is really what points us to the biggest question that Paul is actually addressing in our text, and that is the law sinful? The answer he says at the beginning, and as we've seen from this text, no, the law itself is not sinful, but what the law does is it exposes sin, it provokes sin, and it helps to condemn sin in your life and in mine. That's the purpose. And this is why Paul concludes this section with these words. He says, so the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. So Paul's answered the first big question. But if we're going to continue reading in the text, there's one more to go. We've got one down and one to go. So let's return to our text, pick it up at verse 13, and we will read through verse 20. Paul writes, did that which is good then bring death to me? If the law is good, did it bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that, is, that it is good. So now it is no longer what I do, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So Paul has given us our second question. Is it the law of death? Does the law of God actually bring death in our lives? Once again, the apostle answers his question immediately, and he says, no. Is the law of death? No. Death comes from sin, and there is a distinct difference. But I hope when I read that first portion of text, and when we get to the second portion of text, you can understand that there is a difference. There's something changed in the way he's writing it. The tense sounds different. There's a different tone to it. There's a personal nature to the question that is being posed. The vibe has changed. Because Paul understands the real-life struggle that you and I wrestle with, and that's what he's writing about. He knows all too well the condition that we find ourselves in, that we would profess Christ in one moment and struggle with temptation in the next. 
We tell our friends, our coworkers, we are a Christian. I am a follower of Christ. I go to church on Sunday. And yet there are these things, there are these actions that I struggle to overcome. Paul understood that. And so he writes. Now let's be honest for a moment. Let's have this kind of cultural moment. How many of us have heard this phrase? Well, I'd go to church, but it's filled with hypocrites. How many of you have heard that? Here's an honest response. It sure is. That's why you should fit right in. <laughs> now, some of you might be taken aback by that. Maybe even a little offended that a pastor would say that. I want to encourage you, don't be. Don't be, and here's why. I'm simply making the same point that the Apostle Paul makes right here in our text. That even genuine believers, even followers of Christ, like the Apostle Paul himself, struggle to live out our faith consistently. Even Paul. We say one thing and we do another. We know what we should do and yet we struggle to actually do it. In spite of the reality that we are in Christ by faith, our lives just do not seem to measure up to the perfection that the law requires. So what are we to do? I mean, I am clothed in this fallen body and I am called to live out my faith in a fallen and broken world. What are we to do, church? This is something that you and I are called to walk out. And what I want to paint a picture of for you in this next few moments is something called the now and the not yet. The now and the not yet. For those who have responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ through repentance and faith, we've talked about that a number of times. You get to the end of your rope, you recognize that you are a sinner, you repent and place your faith in Jesus Christ. You are forgiven. Paul has stated that throughout the, the letter of Romans. You are forgiven and you are in the process of being sanctified. You're in the process of being fully redeemed. You have a new identity in Christ. That is the now. That happened. That is true. But it's not yet fully realized because you're still struggling to overcome the temptations that you face every single day. Now, some of you might be sitting here thinking, well, Pastor, that seems kind of abstract. It seems theoretical, sounds like some kind of theological term. Well, it is, but it matters. It matters to you and to me because the ongoing struggle that every believer faces to overcome our temptation, whatever that temptation is for you, and it's going to be different for each person in the room. For some of us, it is greed. We can't get enough. For some of us, it is lust. For others of us, it is covetousness. 
Whatever it is for you, we must acknowledge it in our own hearts and our own minds that it's a struggle. We shouldn't try to just blow past it or power through it because what that creates in us is something entirely different. Let's look back at our text, verse 21. Here's what Paul writes. So, I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells within my members. If you are reading that and you hear like, man, that guy has this internal struggle. He's wrestling with something. That's exactly what is happening. Can you identify with Paul? I mean, you've worked hard to memorize Scripture. It is fresh in your mind, and then everything in your being says, well, I don't want to do that. I want to do the other thing. There are two factions, it seems, waging war within us, within the same person. You could call it a civil war of sorts. I can think of no clearer illustration of what I'm talking about than what we're seeing in our country today, politically speaking. There are two political parties, both of which are elected and put in charge of caring for the well-being of a nation and the well-being of its people. And yet they consistently try to undermine and destroy the movement of the other. It doesn't matter which side you're on. And I know we have both red state folks and blue state folks in our congregation. No matter which side you're on, there are ideas that are being squashed by the other side. Two sides under one umbrella, both pulling in the opposite direction. Now, I want to be very, very clear. I am a pastor. I am not a political pundit. I do not seek to enter into that type of discussion this morning. And I'm not saying that our country is kind of heading to some civil war, but what I am saying is that when we turn on the news, you have to acknowledge that there is this internal struggle that is happening in our country, perhaps in a way that we haven't seen in a very long time. And the reason I bring that up is because it is a a vivid illustration of the internal struggle that goes on within our hearts as well. I thought that might give us a mental picture, a mental image of the struggle of what it means to live a godly life in a world that does not seem very godly. It is a struggle. We have been made new in Christ. That's a reality. And yet we live in a fallen body in a fallen world and we are striving to live out and do the right thing. So what are we called to do? Paul has presented us with a lot to wrestle with, a a lot to think through today. 
But what are Christ followers indwelt by the Holy Spirit? What are we to do? How are you and I to respond to this struggle? Thankfully, the apostle himself offers us some encouragement. Let's look at verse 24. He said, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of death? Who will deliver me? Paul knows by asking this question that he will not find an answer in the law. He will not find an answer in the code or some system or some political party or some structure. There's going to be a battle that is waging within. I love the way John Stott writes it. He says, surely this is the conflict conflict of a regenerate heart. Now, that word regenerate means saved or redeemed. Surely this is the conflict of a regenerate person who knows and loves and longs for God's law, but finds that by himself he cannot do it. He wants to obey, and when he sins it's against his reason, but the law cannot help him. Paul understood this personally. That's why he asked the question, who will deliver me from this body of death? And what is the response? I love the response. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's it. It's not found in a law. It's not found in a code or a system or anything else. Only Jesus, the man who lived a perfect life, the man who sacrificed that life for your sin and for mine, The man who was raised to life victorious over sin and over death. Only Jesus can do what the law could not. Only Jesus can deliver believers because where the law fails, Jesus Christ prevails. Church, as we close out our time together. I want to acknowledge this internal struggle that we had to walk through today and we have to walk through each and every day of our lives on our faith journey. Because while we are made new, we still live in a fallen world. We still have that internal struggle that is only defeated through the personal surrender to the one who strengthens us and empowers us and gives us the Holy Spirit in this life. Because he is the one who will deliver his people. He'll do so at the consummation of the not yet. That's where we have hope. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.